Hey, this is Bailey. And this is Kelly. And today we're going way down in the hole with you on Rewired Podcast to talk about mirroring in the wire. Yep, and the concept of reflection and two key ways that we see it playing out throughout the series. Kelly, you've got some, well, you've got two key terms that we need to know for this uh, episode, right? Right. So in terms of reflection or mirroring, I think the two key terms that we should define uh, and that really inform our analysis are mimesis and chiasmus, both of which are literary techniques. As with most things in this podcast, I've never heard of either of those terms. So why don't you tell us what they are? Okay, so mimesis is a classical Greek concept um, that means the process by which art reflects and reinterprets the world around it. Um, and it's interesting that it's a Greek concept because we've been talked before on this podcast about how David Simon and the other writers were largely informed by um, sort of classical Aristotelian characteristics for literature. So Aristotle was a father of this idea too? Yes. Okay. That's right. Um, so mimesis, I would say within the context of The Wire, can be considered as a sort of one-to-one reflection. Um, just basic mirror mirroring. So we see something happen and then in the next scene we kind of see the same thing happen again but with different characters. Yep, that would be one example. Um, it's, I think it's best just to think about mimesis as art creating a reflection of life. Okay. Sounds very meta. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what meta really means, but, uh, okay. So what's the other concept we need to know? So the other concept that we need to know is chiasmus. Um, it comes from the Greek word meaning crossing. So another Greek concept here. (laughs) And it's, One that requires a little bit more explanation maybe because it's when you have two parallel phrases for the most part that involve an inversion of some kind. Uh, So you see a lot of this on things like Instagram or Pinterest, uh, those pithy little quotes like, don't tell your storm, don't tell your God how big your storm is, tell your storm how big your God is. Or a famous example from JFK don't ask what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And the reason we see a lot of chiasmus in literature and in art is that, and in political speeches, is that it's catchy and it's pithy. Short, to the point, but charming, I guess, in a way. Charming, I mean, I I think that with chiasmus, there's more emphasis on cuteness or the tweeness of a phrase than actually being about substance. That's interesting because I can't think of any twee quotes in The Wire, but you're going to explain the concept as it pertains to The Wire. Yeah, so when it comes to The Wire, I think um, what we should consider to be examples of chiasmus are when we see a parallel or a mirrored scene or a line or even a character in some cases, but with one key inversion or um, one trait that has been disturbed or flipped or something like that. My argument here is that while mimesis represents a kind of more one-to-one direct reflection revealing truth, reality, you know, the truthiness of the world, Mm -hmm. chiasmus in its inversion and its false reflection is more an allusion towards an untruth, a falsehood, a betrayal, a crossing, uh, a a false reality. 
So let's talk about uh, mimesis. What are some examples? Okay, so just um, in a sort of paratextual way, here's a great example to get us familiar with the concept of mimesis in The Wire. If anybody out there owns the cover art um, on the DVDs of season three, Mm -hmm. you'll see that it's uh, Stringer Bell driving a car. McNulty is reflected in the window of the car. Clearly, there's reflection imagery, and we're obviously invited by that to see the alignment between Stringer and McNulty as kind of two adversaries on either side of the game. That would be what I would say is a a one-to-one mimetic representation of all the similarities that McNulty and Stringer have as adversaries. And then season three is when their relationship kind of comes to its ultimate or penultimate or whatever, like its final conclusion and dramatic playing out. Yeah, um, I think those more literal examples of actual reflection imagery are what compel us to see mimesis more broadly, more metaphorically um, in other things, such as repeated dialogue. Right, and I mean, the reflection idea definitely goes throughout the show. Like, I think we see a lot of reflection. For example, um, when we see uh, McNulty get that very stern talking to by Rawls in episode one, we've talked about this scene, how beautiful it's set up, but what, like, the first thing you see is Rawls' reflection in the window. Yeah, so again, inviting us to see the mimesis of it. Um, And there's a lot of characters that have a defining moment, a defining character moment with some sort of reflective surface in front of them. Rawls is probably the first one, Mm -hmm. but we also see, for instance, uh, Frank Sabatka, when he finds out about the dead girls in the can, goes into this tiny little bathroom stall, washes Mm. his face and stares at himself in the mirror. Oh yeah. So, you know, I think that's an example a mimetic example by which Frank is confronting his own sort of reality of, of character. Right. And then the audience is informed, okay, this is Frank Sabatka's true identity. And that's where we, I guess, maybe kind of start to understand that Sabatka isn't this cold-hearted sex trafficker. We see that he has a conscience here. Like, I think that moment in the mirror really is kind of like a moment where we see he has a conscience. Yeah, there's another example, Tommy Carcetti, when he starts getting more into the campaign world, ends up having a little sexual tryst with um, a woman from a campaign event, and it takes place in a bathroom, and Tommy Carcetti is staring at himself in the mirror. Oh yeah, I remember that. So I think that would be another example of my nieces that has, the ability to betray a, a truth or a reality, mm-hmm. um, which would be that Tommy Carcetti is maybe a little more shady than we realized, a little more vain, a little bit more narcissistic after his own goals, motivations, um, right. which I think we do see. We see him be this like loving husband, and then he smiles at the woman at the campaign event, and then the next thing you know, they're having sex in the bathroom, and he's staring at himself in the mirror the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. The other uh, one that comes to mind when we're talking about mirror reflections is right after Kima is shot and everybody's at the hospital and we know that Jimmy's really upset. Like he, he vomits in the garbage can when he hears the tape being played. So then he goes back to their um, office and he's washing his face and 
yeah, he definitely like has this moment where he looks in the mirror at himself. And I think when Kima gets shot, uh, in season one, there is kind of that moment, like um, like a like a come to Jesus moment, I guess you could say, from McNulty, where he's like he realizes that he got everybody caught up in this Barksdale thing, and now he's wondering if it's even worth it at all. Yeah, absolutely. So when we see Rawls reflected in the window. It's interesting because Rawls isn't looking at his own reflection. So I think that mm-hmm. differentiates that example a little bit. Um, but maybe that being one of the first, most crucial scenes of the entire series invites the viewer to kind of watch for these moments of reflection that are both literal and figurative. So it's the, sorry, my Mises, it's pronounced? Yeah. Okay. So it's not just in reflection that we see it, we also see it in dialogue being mirrored. Yeah, so I think um, there is that first layer of the most literal mimesis, which is um, reflection in in glass or in mirrors. But then there's a level up, which is like a little bit more metaphorical, but it's mirrored dialogue. And there's a lot of repeated lines throughout the series. Um, And the way in which or by which character they're repeated, I think... Um, points towards the the mimetic um, device. So one example that comes to mind is that in season one, when McNulty goes back to visit the judge to say, you know, they killed a state's witness, mm-hmm. um, Ju- Judge Phelan, I yeah. think this is his name, he is, you know, trying to clean mustard off his tie. Oh, yeah. And McNulty says, you missed a spot. And then the very next scene... Uh, the the guy's setting up the detail. I think it's either Polk or Mahone is mopping, and mm-hmm. the other one says, you missed a spot. Oh, okay. And the fact that these follow one another so closely, I would say that the, my, my nieces there is about institutional sloppiness. Hmm. The courts didn't really do right by the state's witness. You know, he didn't go into protection. Yeah. The policing was sloppy up until the point that the detail gets set up as far as you know they were just doing hand-to-hands and all that that's just one interpretation but like those kinds of lines yeah I would say are my nieces well and it's kind of interesting um just in terms of like and this may be reaching but you missed a spot you know when McNulty brings this case to the police Nobody's ever heard of Avon Sparksdale. Nobody thinks he's a big deal. They're wondering, you know, I think it's one of them that says like, you know, yesterday I never heard of him and now you're making him out to be this criminal mastermind. Yeah. So the, um, like you missed a spot is almost talking about how... Avon. Yeah. Like Avon was the spot that exactly. they missed. Yeah. yeah. I and think that's absolutely not reaching. I think that's probably very accurate. Yeah. And, you know, this physical sloppiness that we see with the, the tie and the mopping alludes to that institutional sloppiness. Yeah, there's definitely some other repeated lines. Um, I think, you know, Jimmy has, what the fuck did I do? Like, he says that a lot. Yeah. Um, And I think that probably speaks to his inability to take responsibility for all of his behavior. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You also have mentioned um, Nicely Done. Yeah, so the end of season one, episode one, or sorry, it's not the end of the episode, but... When D'Angelo gets let off in court, McNulty walks out of the court and he turns to Stringer and he says, nicely done. Mm -hmm. 
And then the last episode of season one, I think it's the last episode, after, you know, the sentencing and Avon's getting sent to um, prison and all of that, Stringer walks out of the courtroom and says to McNulty, nicely done. Mm. Um, so I would argue that that's a direct mimetic um, repeat, repeat, repetition of a line um, showing that there's a kind of a one-to-one relationship between McNulty and Stringer. Yeah. Well, and McNulty and D'Angelo have a lot of sort of mirrored uh, situations. Right. Especially towards the beginning of season one when they both are faced with disciplinary actions. Right. Let's go back to that Rawls reflection scene. McNulty gets told to go in and see Rawls. And then Rawls basically says, sit the fuck down. Yeah. And then... Following that, almost immediately, D'Angelo is brought to Avon at the club, and Avon says to D, sit your ass down. Yeah. And both of them are basically reamed out by their boss. Yeah, they are. And then D'Angelo's demotion is immediate. He's sent mm-hmm. to work the pit. He gets taken out of the towers. And we see that McNulty's demotion, although not immediate, is imminent when Sergeant Lansman says, well, where don't you want to go? Exactly. And actually that scene comes right before that scene where Dee shows up at the towers and Stringer says, you're in the pit today. And then D'Angelo is like, but I had a tower since summer and, or since spring and you know, where's Ronnie Moe and Ronnie Moe got 86. And yeah. I think Dee and McNulty do have a lot of commonalities throughout their time together. Okay. So another example, much more metaphorical in terms of mimesis would be uh, thematic elements that are reflected from one scene to the next. So in season one, episode two, there's a scene where the details sort of, you know, setting up in this terrible warehouse, they're kind of like in the basement and throughout the police institution, the phrase in the basement always means the shit detail. It's where, yeah. um, like Lester Freeman was, it's where Daniels gets sent in season mm-hmm, two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we know what that means. And in that scene, uh, you know, they're just getting the details set up and they know they've all kind of gotten shafted on this case. Uh, the next scene, D'Angelo is talking to uh, Wallace about chicken nuggets. And Wallace is saying, well, this guy's probably rich. He came up with the nugget. And then D'Angelo says, uh, no, whoever it is is sitting in the basement. Now he's thinking up some way to make the fries taste better. Yeah. He never got any credit for what he did. Right. Um, and then immediately following, Daniels goes to Ronnie to try to get some help or some section to get a better detail. Mm-hmm. And he gets denied by her and she says like, basically I can't help you. Right. Um, so I think that my nieces there goes to show that even good work goes uncredited uh, in institutions. Right. Well, and she even says to him like make lemonade. And I think that also speaks to kind of McNulty's overall feeling about the system and rank and file and just like basically doesn't matter how smart you are in McNulty's mind because he thinks yeah. he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, you get stuck with the shit detail or you get stuck in the basement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's another example um, of sort of tearing spaces apart. Yeah, a mimetic example. Uh, kind of a one-to-one reflection in season two. Daniels and... 
uh, I can't remember who he goes down into the basement with, but they're looking for evidence in the William Gant shooting. Mm-hmm. And whoever's in evidence control says, well, you know, this row and column number don't even exist, so I don't even think it's here. Yeah. So Daniel says, well, we're going to go shelf by shelf, and we're going to find it. And I think it's maybe Bunk says, we'll we'll be here all night. And then Daniel says, yeah, we will be. We're going to. And so they just start tearing apart evidence control, looking for whatever they're looking for. Um, In close proximity to that scene is the scene where Bodie takes the car to get ripped apart. Right. Oh, yes, that's right. So... That's the scene where Stringer, unbeknownst to Bodie, has him followed, um, and they basically tricked him to see if they can trust him. Um, so they get to this place. That's that's that scene where uh, Bodie's leaving Baltimore and the radio station goes out. So anyway, so they get to this garage and they start looking for the drugs in this car, and they're not where they're supposed to be. And they basically tear the whole car apart. Like the there's like side panels on the floor. Everything's everywhere. Yeah. Bodhi's really frustrated, and it's because he knows he's not going to deliver. And, well, and he's, you know, quite afraid of what this means if he doesn't show up without the money or the drugs or whatever. Yeah. So I think that my niece is there is pointing towards, again, as we see throughout The Wire, that the drug trade and the justice system are direct reflections of one another, and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, you know, parallels between them. Okay, so let's move on to the other literary device that you mentioned. Right, so chiasmus as another style of reflection. Um, and just to recap what we said before, chiasmus is a reflection with an inversion. Um, okay. A parallelism that has a, a, a flipping of um, key elements. So we gave some examples from political speeches and things like that. Um, I think we also see it thematically in The Wire um, in a few different key ways. Yeah, I mean, the first one that's coming to mind for me, which is a dialogue one, is in um, season four, when Marlo is kind of rising to uh, power. So at the end of the season two with the Greeks, he says, oh, you know, my name is not my name. And and so the Greeks are not worried at all because my name is not my name. Um, but then when we get into season four, Marlo finds out people have been talking about him in the street and he gets super upset and, and he's like, my name is my name. Yeah. And so I guess that's, is that an example of it? Yeah, that's definitely an example. And I think maybe what that gives way to is, um, differences between, you know, the level of crime knowledge or sophistication mm-hmm. you know there's street drug trade versus someone like Spiros. wholesalers yeah wholesalers Spiros calls themselves. um and i think it kind of speaks to the identity of, of the characters in what level of the game they're playing right and also maybe a, a power thing like the, the greeks are so powerful that they know that they don't need their name yeah. to ring out whereas marlo wants his name to ring out right well and the greek you know, yeah. he doesn't even have a name. He just is yeah, the Greek. We just never do know his name. Yeah. Um, so in terms of like a visual or uh, scene flip, are there any that come to mind for you? Yeah. One kind of interesting example, I think, is that um, in season two, when Frank Sabatka goes to donate the stained glass window to the church, 
Mm. And then very shortly after, Valchek goes to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we might at first be compelled to see this as mimesis, but I would argue that it's actually chiasmus, key elements being flipped, um, specifically the ways in which those characters present their mm. you know, offering. Um, and I think instead of drawing parallelisms between uh, Savatka and Valchek were instead immediately shown, okay, these two are adversaries, there's some crossing, literally, going to happen, or mm-hmm. um, betrayal. Yeah, interesting. Are there other examples where betrayal is kind of shown? So there's another example that I wouldn't say is necessarily betrayal, but kind of interesting is Naaman, who we meet in season four, as a reflection of Weebe, his father. Mm. And I think it's important that we see Naaman around all these fish tanks, glass, reflective surface. And then when he visits his father in prison, you know, they're talking through glass. Mm. So there is um, that more literal element of reflection. Mm-hmm. But I think that instead of being a mimetic relationship between Naaman and Weebe, it's more of a an example of chiasmus because... Weebay gets, you know, caught up in the game and then gets kind of ins- put in an institution for life. Yeah. Whereas Naimand, by getting help from Bunny Colvin and kind of moving out of the game, leaving the drug trade, he actually gets new life. You know, they both mm-hmm. get a kind of life sentence, but there are alternate life sentences. There's a few different examples of these kinds of relationships where... It's it's a little bit up for debate whether it's a mimetic relationship or a chiasmic relationship. Um, and the first one that comes to mind for me is Ronnie versus Beatty. Mm. And they're very physically mimetic. Yeah, they're physically mimetic. They're both gingers. Yeah. Um, they're We're- thematically mimetic. They both have relationships with McNulty. Mm-hmm. Um, both eventually get really, you know, put out with him and his antics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's also key differences as well and key inversions. When McNulty's with Ronnie, that's when he's not being his best self. Right. That's what leads to the breakdown of his marriage. It's, you know, when he's with Ronnie, he's often drinking really heavily, mm-hmm. um, career not going well. Mm-hmm. And then when he's with Beatty, it's kind of the opposite. You know, he's sober or mostly sober and living this kind of homebody life mm-hmm. uh, and being more his best self. Right. So I guess we're kind of led to ask ourselves, like, which one, which one reflects the true McNulty or, you know, which one reflects, yeah. you know, where McNulty should be? Like, should he be this homebody beat cop? father style figure you know like when when he's with Beatty or is he this rogue cop heavy drinking Irish bachelor for life yeah and I think the chiasmus and the inversion there makes us think okay maybe McNulty when he's bad wait is that the false truth of chiasmus or McNulty when he's good is that the false truth and Mm -hmm. I don't know that's kind of debatable Interesting. So another partnership or uh, two characters that are closely aligned uh, would be Sherrod and mm. Johnny. Right. They're, bubbles sidekicks. Yeah. They're both bubble sidekicks for periods of time. They both die from overdoses. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they both kind of come under Bubbles' wing and get a little bit of mentorship from him. Uh, but there are some differences as well. Like, of course, the visual differences of race and age. Yeah. Um, and, sorry, go ahead. Oh, and I, I, it's just making me think, too, that I think Bubbles, where he feels like he failed Johnny, where he didn't encourage Johnny to do something. Like, he's, he's very let down by Johnny when Johnny doesn't turn it around when he is basically in rehab for after he gets the shit kicked out of him. Um, you know, I think Bubbles holds himself responsible for not trying to help Johnny get clean and sober and, and make this new life. So then when the opportunity comes for Sherrod to go to school, you know, Bubbles really puts himself out um, to make this happen for Sherrod, but Sherrod doesn't want that. Yeah, Bubbles, I think, is a teacher to both of them. But with mm-hmm. Johnny, he's teaching him how to make fake money with coffee and how to steal copper piping for money. Yeah. Um, these kinds of things. Teaching and then with, him the game. Yeah, teaching him the game. And then with Sherrod, he's teaching him, you know, math as they're mm-hmm. running their Bubbles Depot. Uh, yeah. He gets him, I think, like a textbook so he can learn um, some of those key skills for life beyond the game, not not the game, like business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but ultimately, um, both of them do die, as you said, and I think... Um, well, and, and we know that after Sherrod dies, Bubbles tries to kill himself because he holds himself so responsible for it. Yeah, it's really sad. That's a really sad scene. So sad. <laughs> but then ultimately, um, and this can kind of lead us to a, a whole other conversation, but Waylon in a way becomes Bubbles' teacher. Yeah. Um, because then Waylon is helping him get through the steps of NA and he's really encouraging him to share in the meetings and... And in a way, he, he kind of leads Bubbles to this new way. Yeah, I'd say so. Which makes me think of uh, the last episode of season five, the last episode of the entire series. Yeah. We kind of see this evolution of character in, in most of them, right? Like we, we kind of start to see Dookie as the new Bubbles. And I guess you could say Marlo is the new Avon. Avon. Um, we certainly wonder if Kima becomes the new McNulty. Yeah. And it, it kind of, I guess, shows in a way this like cyclical, yeah. like this is the game. It just goes on and on and on. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. And these mimetic relationships or even these chiasmic relationships show that, yes, the game goes on and there are these parallelisms and sometimes there's inversions, which, you know, allude to some kind of greater truth, good or bad, and uh, I think that's just, you know, thematically true for all of The Wire, and that's why these uh, mirrored images, characters, dialogues, that, that's why they're so important. Mm-hmm. So that's been our uh, episode on mirrored dialogue that we've been promising for the last couple of episodes. I know, we've and talked about it a lot, and so that was it, and if you have other examples of either mimetic or chiasmic relationships that you see or just interesting reflections in terms of visuals let us know yeah definitely um and thanks for all the love on social media we're feeling it it's awesome yeah it's so exciting we love talking to you guys so definitely keep tweeting us at rewired podcast or email us podcast.rewired at gmail.com and uh this episode was written produced edited hosted by Bailey Reed and Kelly Reed. Uh, We make it using the Opinion app. Thanks, Opinion. You're awesome. We've got our theme music by Flo Flork. You can find that on SoundCloud.
Okay, see you next week, way down in the hole.